So welcome, friends, to the uh, Friday evening Sangha. Friday evening for most of you, for uh, two of you, though, this is Thai time. This is Saturday morning. So welcome, Daniel and uh, Sebastian. They're both here in southern Thailand with me. In fact, Daniel's right out there in the yard someplace. So, uh, DJ, you've got a question. Yeah, yeah. So I have a little question. Um, been having, you know, a fair bit of conversations on the Discord, and the topic of jhana comes up, you know, fairly frequently. Um, and I, I find like when addressing it as like a question, because sometimes it can come up like rather solidified and all that stuff, is to break it down again into like the five jhana factors. And like these are things that we can actually like work with, right? So again, the applied and sustained wholesome thought, removing the hindrances, the pitsy and the sukha. So these are like things we can cultivate rather than like this sort of solidified thing that we crave. I was just wondering like what your input on that would be in terms of like if somebody asks, like breaking it down like that. Okay, well, we can go into um, quite a lot of detail with this. Okay, so the first thing to mention is, is that one of the first things that the Buddha taught in the Dhamma Chakra Bhavanta Sutta, he taught the Eightfold Noble Path and he all and the four noble truths and he also taught the middle path and that middle path is uh problematic for the west because it's not clearly defined in language that we would understand okay and that one of the things that we can kind of glean is is that the higher jhanas are known for being very very pleasurable and that um, getting attached to those high uh, pleasures is the same thing as getting attached to going to the uh, to the brothels or to the bars or to the sports games. Okay, it's the same kind of thing, and that uh, normally the middle path is thought to be on one end to be self-flagellation, self-criticism, harming oneself, um, uh, wanting revenge. And then on the other side is this pleasurable thing. But when we understand it correctly, we can understand it that self-flagellation that he was quite good at. I mean, you've seen the images of the starving Buddha and all of that was because he was with the Jains for possibly a couple of years after he had gone all the way through the jhanas. That in fact, if you understand that, you can kind of start to discount the jhanas as a big item because the Buddha been there, done that and abandoned (laughs) it. But now when we get to the four uh, noble truths and the eightfold noble path, specifically in relationship to the um, middle path, it appears that the middle path then is between the higher jhanas and no jhana at all. And so the middle path there would then be the first jhana, which the Buddha also talks about as the first jhana is the path to enlightenment. That's in Sutta number 36, as well as the Dhamma Chakra Bhavanta Sutta. So we've got a couple of Sutta references now that we can begin to build the point. So 
one of the ways of understanding it is, is that the second, third, and fourth jhanas are natural outcomes of the first jhana. That in fact, uh, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa talks about it in the sense of both Paticca Samapada and the jhana, because they're kind of together in that, is, is that when the mind is fit for work, when the mind is fit for work is a very important point. What that means is, number one, we can already control our feelings. That where our bad feelings or any kind of feelings are not messed up with what we're doing, that we can get away from the feelings so that the mind can function correctly. Ah, Alex, glad to see you. Yes, sir. Yeah, glad to see y'all too. How are you, Sangha? Well, hello, oh. hello. All right, so the first jhana, uh, welcome, we'll, uh, Alex, we'll just continue on with the conversation and let you catch up with it. Okay, so we're talking about the first jhana as the base point, not what many people in the West think of as access concentration. How many have ever heard the term access concentration? Guess what? <laughs> There's no place in the suttas. It doesn't exist, okay? You're either in hindrances, and when you come out of the hindrances, then you're in the first jhana. That's basically it. We have to be free from the hindrances, and when we are free from the hindrances, free from unwholesome thoughts, now we can see things clearly. But when we are free from the wholesome, unwholesome thoughts, then something really interesting is going on, and that is, is that everything that we see, everything that we notice, everything that we work with, etc., like that, is all wholesome because we've removed the unwholesome. That most of the time people spend their time trying to figure out what's going on based upon unwholesome feelings and ideas and thoughts and whatever like this, uh, mostly from the past. So. If we can remove these hindrances, we can make the mind fit for work. And the question would be then, well, what does that mean? And the answer to that is, what is fit for work are all of these wholesome things that would be characteristics or hallmarks of the higher jhanas? Okay. Okay. This is the important way that, in fact, this stuff is talked about in Sutta number 111 in one by one as they occur, where it points out uh, that Sariputta was able to do the whole show in two weeks. The whole show, two weeks. Everything that the Buddha teaches all the way to the absolute end. In fact, at the end of the Sutta, they make a point of that Sariputta has come to the end of it all. Okay, so two weeks, they call it a fortnight. Fortnights are kind of uh, uh, common in the old days because it was the new moon and the full moon. And so uh, in that period of time, now the question would be, was, was Sariputta already capable of the first jhana before that two-week period started? The likelihood is very, very high that he was because he came out of that tradition before he met the Buddha. He was already deeply into it. All right. But the sutta in that point, then after the two weeks, it takes, he says, starting with 
being well secluded from unwholesome states, well secluded from the mind, Sariputta entered into the first jhana with all of the factors of the first jhana. What are the first jhana's factors? Okay, well, they're listed in that sutta. They're listed in many suttas. They're listed in the Angatara. And the funny thing about the later literature, like in the Angatara, they have six factors for first jhana that have to be collected together. And in all of the other suttas in the Majjhima there are five factors. What's the additional factor? The additional factor is relaxation of the body, which is precisely what is in step four of Anapanasati. So you can see that the uh, uh, that the, the jhana dudes of the day added that sixth one because it's necessary anyway. So uh, getting the body relaxed, getting the body comfortable, getting the body uh, in in a secluded place is all about reality. You, you guys have probably heard about um, affirmations, self-help books, that kind of thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. Part of the reason why they don't work is because the person doesn't really believe it because it's not part of their reality. Right. So we have to, in fact, now look at that we actually want to be in a physical reality that matches what we're doing mentally. Which means that we get the body secluded, we get it relaxed, we get it satisfied, we get it safe and secure. If we can get the body relaxed, safe and secure and comfortable, then that's the basis of reality to start with. So. Gathering these uh, factors together, we start with the body. Before we ever sit down, when we do sit down, we sit down to relax, etc. Right, and we relax in a safe, secure place. So that's one of the points that we're making, because now we're going to start talking ourselves into the very reality that we've already created physically, and that is to talk ourselves into feeling safe, secure, relaxed, comfortable, which that will lead in into satisfaction. Okay, once we do the satisfaction, and that's the key word, satisfaction. Why? Because satisfaction, by the way, is the word poly is sukha, which is the exact opposite of the word dukkha, which means dissatisfaction. So we're actually now, if we can get that part of the first jhana, we don't even have to have all of the jhana factors yet together. And we've already got ourselves uh, out of uh, the dukkha, which is the exact teaching of the Buddha. So you can see when he figured that right there. Oh, I got it now. The first jhana, that's where it's at. Now, what happens is, is that we keep doing this over and over and over and over again and getting ourselves into the uh, not just with the body, but with the mind and now with the feelings that we actually feel safe, secure, comfortable, satisfied over and over again. We add that next ingredient that's the, uh, the tip point, and that is success. We can do it. We know that we can do it. And this success is actually something that's uh, uh, emphasized in several suttas, but for some reason we miss it. So I'll stop there. Uh, Aaron, you have a question. Yeah, so 
this um the physical you know surroundings and the body and the comfort there and uh basically reminding yourself that this is comfortable this is safe you know um i was looking at the hindrances today and what i was looking at uh it was pointing out that it's um it's an overemphasis on certain things right so the the hindrance of anger is an overemphasis on the 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 fault of whatever it is right so the if you're doing the opposite of that you're not looking at what's wrong you're looking at what's right, right? Yes. so you make that more salient so instead of bullshitting yourself about this being so bad over here <laughs> you're actually saying well you know wait a minute this is actually pretty good over here <laughs> mm -hmm. yes that one of the ways that i talk about that is is that when we were all tender infants in order to survive we were nourished those infants tender infants that were not nourished when they were very tender infants either die outright or they die inside and one of the ways that that happens is called an abandonment issue to where people an example of the abandonment issue is the girl just got married now and he's got a, a new husband but every time he leaves the house she starts to fight because she would rather have him there fighting with her then miss him when he's gone because then these this terror of being alone and abandoned will occur okay so we need to have that nourishment to get started unfortunately it ends sometime around the age of four to six depending upon whether a sibling is born and then you become mommy's little helper instead of mommy's little baby you graduate from mommy's little baby to mommy's little helper you see that difference? Okay. Because what does that mean? It means from now on, that young child, every one of us, is now going to be living in a world looking for what's wrong, looking for problems to solve, looking for uh, uh, in improving the, the place. You have to become a patriot. You have to join a political party. You have to get a job. You have to do, you have to do, you have to do all of these rules that you picked up and learned. And Aaron, you're absolutely correct that what we're really doing here is taking the emphasis off of the negative aspects of life and promoting the positive aspects of life over and over and over again, because you can see that you've like, done it like this. Over the years, you have piled up a huge amount of rules and negativities and, and uh, um, let us say, mistakes that we've made, uh, disasters we've created or gotten hap uh, had to us, et cetera, like that. We've got a huge pile of crap. The Buddha calls this the path or uh, the past or the sand cars have all been built up. So now we have to uh, not just change one time and say, oh, I'm just going to have positive thoughts. That's going to be enough. No, we have to do it over and over and over and over again until we finally get convinced ourselves that we can do this. We can live a positive life. All I have to do is remember 
to stay out of the negativity and come back into the positivity. Okay, so this point then, that point of being a winner is adding the final ingredient now to the, uh, the jhana, and that is called the pity. Now, what pity is, is means that I feel really good. I feel like on top of the world, okay? The Buddha was known as a lion. This is also the word that we use as Sama Sankapa, which means a change of attitude from that loser's attitude that everything has worked. There's all these problems that need to be solved. I've got to hub two, three, four. I got to do what I was told to do. And now we're coming into the positive, that winner's mentality of anything that needed to be done has already been done. I got nothing to do anymore. I'm fine. I got everything I need. I'm great. In fact, I am in charge of my life. I'm on top of my world, right? You probably heard it me say someplace or another that everyone is an emperor of their own pile of dirt. But those emperors who are losers are buried under their pile of dirt or climbing their way out. But the winners are just sitting on top of the world. This is what the super mundane means. And in Nepali, it means uh, lokatara, to be on top of it. Be on top of the world, your world, not the world of concepts, not the world of Chicago or uh, Maui or Australia or anything else that you can think of. Because when you think of those places, they're only concepts in the mind. Your world is the real world that you can touch, see, hear, sense, taste, smell. But the world that you can think of is not real world, it's just a world of concepts. And the real world is marvelous. The real world is wonderful. The real world's got air right here. All we have to do is take a deep breath and enjoy. And so this is that attitude that's built up. And when we have, number one, freedom from hindrances, number two, we have that sukha, that sukha, which is the, uh, the satisfaction that comes with safety, security, and comfort of the body. And once we get that security and that safety and that comfort going, then we can be satisfied and there's that point about freedom from dukkha right there. And then when we do it over and over and over again, we get the attitude, I could do this. I'm a winner now. I'm on top of it. So those are the jhana factors, the first jhana factors. You can walk and talk and live your life in that sort of state. The fourth jhana probably will get you arrested if you're out driving under the influence of jhana. Because you can't drive, you can't think, you can't talk. You're, you're so into what's happening in reality. Okay, so let's look at this now. In this point that once the mind is in the first jhana and fit for work, and it is a skill that has been developed. It's sort of like once you learn uh, a violin player, once that violin player can learn and play flawlessly Beethoven's violin concerto in D minor, he can play all four of the main violin concertos. The Mendelssohn, the Brahms, and the Tchaikovsky are going to be fairly easy for him to learn once he's learned the, the Beethoven. Do you get the point that I'm making? Another way of looking at it is, is that in order to play one note on a violin, 
just one note on the violin. You need a violin. You need the curl. You need the bass. You need the back. You need the box. You need the throat of the neck. You need one string at least. Okay. And so this is what our practice is, is get that body going, get that curl going, get that string tight so that we can play that one note of first jhana. Once we do that, the second, third, and fourth string comes fairly easy. And so this is a way of looking at it is, is that most of the Westerners, as soon as they get first jhana, they just touch it. And now all of a sudden they have dreams for second, third, and fourth jhana. Right? You can't stay where we are. We've got Wait. something absolutely marvelous, and we still want more. <laughs> Instead of recognizing that the first jhana. Well, hello, Alex. Hello. Oh, you've got a full beard now, huh? Hello. <laughs> okay, so beard. yeah, I'm using some hair growth oil, you know, just just fixing <laughs> up the skin bag. <laughs> okay. Well, we're talking about jhana and the distinction that we're actually looking at. The first jhana is the middle path. And so one of the things that happens when the when people get into the second jhana and they do it the first time is such a strange, marvelous experience to figure out that the thoughts are gone, that there are actually nothing verbal is happening anymore. That's such a surprise for most people that they will jump right back into hindrances. Mm. Okay, why? Because they don't have the first jhana well established. Then, in fact, the right way to do it is get the first jhana so well established. Okay, you, uh, an example of that is you've seen these artificial rock walls where people climb at the uh, uh, the gym or something like that. Wouldn't you rather have those guys climbing that wall with the ropes and the the things that you're going to step on are all arranged? How about on a ledge, a straight vertical rock wall, let us say the Matterhorn, because there's people who want to climb that Matterhorn the hard way, okay? But if you don't have the right skills and the right ropes, you're going to fall. Well, that's what happens with the second, third, and fourth jhana. People will fall out of them because they don't have the base that they need, which is the first jhana. And so all of the work that we're going to be putting in is to get the mind into the first jhana and keep it there to sustain it. Okay, and so this is the first thing then we're going to do. Once the mind is fit for work, we're going to take the first object, which is staying in first jhana to apply and sustain and supply, apply and sustain over and over and over again until we can get it. One of the examples would be that once you're in the first jhana, let us say sitting with your eyes closed and you know how good you feel, then try opening your eyes and maintaining that. Then stand up and continue maintaining it. And pretty soon you can walk around. This is also part of the reason why they do walking meditations. If you can walk yourself into first jhana, then you can walk around in first jhana. And this is the point. This is, this is a state of living where you've got everything that you need. What is that? You've got safety, security, comfort, satisfaction, success. You've got a comfortable body. 
Yeah, I mean, what else can you need? That's it. Then, in fact, if you've got the first jhana, what else could you possibly need? But if you are in the first jhana, then we want to actually take a look at these first jhana factors. That's the next point is, is that the first jhana's factors that we're going to mostly concentrate on is that applied and sustained thought to keep the thoughts wholesome. One after another, after another, wholesome thoughts. So once we get the thoughts all wholesome, now we can do something else. And the characteristic is, is that if our thoughts are all wholesome, we feel really, really good. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to start looking at it without talking ourselves into it or talking ourselves about it. We're just going to experience feeling this good. That's the second jhana is that the mind goes quiet and all we have to do is to investigate how good we feel. Wow. You know, the thought the songs like from James Brown come up, you know, the James <laughs> Brown, I feel good. By the way, it does start off. There's something that we almost always miss because we're listening to the song itself. But the first thing that does is I feel good. Okay, so that's the whole point of it. That's the that's that genre that feels so good. Okay, is that that scream, that squelch, that that, that is just so marvelous. Broke my table again. That was quite a scream. <laughs> <laughs> feels so good. You're breaking things over there. Yeah. <laughs> so. Now that we feel that jhana, that real feel good, we start looking at how good we feel. This is it. And we experience that. But that very, very high squeal doesn't last very long. It's almost like, yeah, the guy can climb to the top of Mount Everest, but he's not going to spend the night there. And he's certainly not going to build a bungalow. Right. That in fact, he better get up there early in the morning so he can use the afternoon to get off that hill because he does not want to be up there at night. So this is kind of the way that we look at this pity, this strong, really, really over the top uh, exquisite feeling just sorts of relaxes. OK, and it relaxes into the third jhana. So here are the analogies, by the way. I'll bring them in now. These analogies are in Sutta number 119, by the way, as well as many other places. In the first jhana, this analogy, uh, they use it with a, uh, a man who does bath powder, but my analogy is because of my grandmother. She made biscuits, and she made biscuits exactly the way that it's done in the suttas with bath powder that you spread the biscuit dough out and then she would take and put her fingertips in a bowl of water and then sprinkle the dough it wasn't dough yet it was just dry powder dry flour and we keep putting a little bit of water and pasting it until soon there is not leaky water coming out of this dough it's not wet but it is moist enough so that by kneading it around it removes all the dry powder. Okay, so this is the analogy of the first jhana. What is the powder? It's the body and mind. What is the water that we're sprinkling on? It's the joy. It's how good we feel. Okay, now the second jhana, 
Um, I really like this analogy because, uh, strangely enough, in my lifetime, I've had many experiences that actually fit very well. The second jhana, the example, is in a, um, a pond or a, a body of water that is actually fed by a spring. It's called an artesian well or a spring well. Okay, and what the farmers will do, by the way, these springs normally come up at the base of a hill because the mountain is full of water. And out in the weight of the water from that mountain inside, it comes out and it just bubbles up out of the ground pretty close to the. Uh, and so I had a spring in my early childhood. But then when I was living in Sherall, South Carolina, my landlord had, had built a dam around this artesian well spring and created what the Buddha was talking about. So now you have this pond that is hot water on the top, but it's got all of this bubbling water that's coming up from the bottom. It's not got a lot of air in it at all, but you can tell because of the temperature changes and you could swim down to that artesian well. And when you get there, it is quite an experience because the water is bubbling up and it's all kinds of different changes of the temperature around the body. And it's just a magnificent experience of, uh, and, and brings on goosebumps and shivers and all kinds of things. This is the example of the second jhana is how good we feel because of this artesian well bubbling up. The water comes up to the surface and it changes around and you're just standing in that stream and just, I mean, uh, it would be very much like Buddha's version of a whirlpool bath. That's what we're looking at. That's the analogy of Buddha's whirlpool bath is the second jhana. All we could do is just experience. These sensations that are just completely surrounding us. Okay, so that's the, the second genre. But the third genre then has the analogy of a lotus blossom that um, there's there's several different ways of looking at it. One is that the lotus comes up out of a fast flowing creek or brook, or it's coming out of the mud, or it's coming out of a pond. But whatever happens with that lotus coming out of that fast flowing stream that was mentioned, by the way, in the second jhana, uh, the lotus flower, when it opens, it's dry. When the flower that's been buried under all of this gushing water comes up, it comes up dry. And what this is, uh, and what that means is, is now we're taking as our... Um, object of observation our meditation object is now not how good we feel james brown style but how pleasant it is that i can rise above all of those wonderful feelings and stand up and be high and dry over them okay so this is just so it it goes we build up the feelings into the pity and then it relaxes into the sukha but the applied and sustained thought are not there because we're the mind is really, really focused. Okay. And so then the next analogy is the fourth jhana is used as like a shimmering sheet that's put around on, on top. It comes around and is this. And what that gives that analogy is, is not only the shimmering, but the fact that now it's hard to distinguish where the meditator starts 
and where the the air around him starts okay that this is kind of like a shield or a sheet and this is what gives the example of not infinite space but the boundaries of the space are loosened that it's not really boundless no boundaries but more that the boundaries are very indistinct hard to find where the boundaries are okay so uh you can also use these words that will help the second jhana is pity the second the third jhana is sukha and the fourth jhana is opaka that's hmm. when you get really really balanced okay and really sharp because the mind now is so fit for work that we can see how the mind itself works in this regard Okay, and yes. so this is where we really get into the teaching of Paticca Samuppada because, in fact, Fourth Jhana and Paticca Samuppada are tightly related, mostly around the issue of perception. Because the way that it works is, is that our eyes and our ears and our consciousness brings in new information from the outside world, and then we process it through the act of perception in the polyus nama rupa, and that this thing happens, that we mix the past with it. So when we're in the fourth jhana, that means that we can see this process happening clearly, that we recognize that what I see is not what I see. What happens on the outside world is processed, and when we stop processing it, that means that we bring the perception to an end. We stop the processing and just leave the raw data coming in. That's what we're talking about. That's why Paticca Samapada, the Buddha figured that out because he had the ability to be in Fort Jhana so that he could see this stuff. And so we bring perception to an end and when perception is brought to an end, so are the feelings. Feelings come to an end because we're not perceiving anything. We're just receiving the data as input, raw input without any processing. That's why I mentioned it. In fact, I'm talking about the fourth genre when I say just enjoy the show. Don't process it. Don't try to figure out who done it. Don't judge the actor. Just watch and enjoy the show. And everybody, uh, Micah has a song. And in there, everybody wants their money back. You know, we don't like the show. We want to fix the show. I want my money back. I want my money back. And Micah says, just enjoy the show. Just watch what's happening without trying to make sense out of it or try to fix it. But when we read this stuff in the sutras and things like that without quite understanding it, we get confused. Westerners get confused, but the people around the Buddha knew exactly what he was talking about because it was their native language and their native experience. Jhanas were already well known in those days. Okay? But now we're a brand new culture, brand new Western Buddhists that have to uh, go through a whole lot of, uh, jump through a lot of hoops that Buddhist students didn't have to jump through. We have to figure out what the language is. We have to figure out what these concepts are. The word jhana, in fact, the word jhana is probably the most misused word 
that has crept into English because these are actually natural states. Here's an example of fourth jhana. The four-year-old is sitting on the floor watching the, the Coca-Cola that he has just spilled roll down and seep into the carpet. All right? People on drugs have those kind of experiences big time. They talk about it a lot. The guy's on LSD and he's sitting there and he's looking at a worm and he's got nothing else better to do. He's, he's, the mind is actually in those states to where he's not processing. He doesn't have the word worm. He doesn't have any plans where the worm is going to go. He doesn't know anything about the worm. He's just enthralled with this show. <laughs> so these are natural states. Humans go into this. A good example of first jhana is when you are reading a book or reading an article on the internet. If you can read it one line after another and know what the end of this paragraph is, what the next paragraph is starting, when you're into the next paragraph, you have the reference for the past paragraph. Most people don't read that way. Most people get interested, they'll start to read, and they'll, they'll get an idea about what they're reading. And now they're starting to think about what they thought about. And their eyes are still moving around the page, but they're not picking up. How many times does that happen to you? Oh, yeah. Right? Most you speed started... reading is getting into first jhana. Yeah. Okay. Like so most of the trainings for them? Mm-hmm. So these jhana states are quite natural. They may have a, uh, a, uh, a, um, a different degrees, like how much pity, how much sukha you can have when you're out actually reading. But mostly we're talking about enjoying it. We do that with games, too. Solitaire, Sudoku, any of those kind of games. We just get focused right into that game. And we're not thinking about anything else. We don't get lost in thought when we're playing the game. We stay on the game focus maybe if we really want to break some rules we can say there we concentrate <laughs> uh but the second jhana then a, a natural analogy for the second jhana would be a formula one racer if he keeps his eye on that road he's going to be okay if he takes his eye off that road just one second he'd probably be a dead meat that's one thing that's very very interesting about formula one racers very rarely does any of them actually retire as a winner almost all of them die in a crash because they're trying to get someplace okay so the the, the analogy then of the story is some because Formula One is not done in a track like at uh, Darlington 500 or Rockingham or any of the uh, Indianapolis on a track. <laughs> the Formula One uses actual streets, and they block them off and whatever like that. And so these uh, the, the circuit is all kind of confusing with lots of different turns. So here this um, Formula One racer is just tooling down the road, and a little old lady walks out on the road. If he has the thought, Old lady, you ought not be here. He just killed her. Because he's thinking about her rather than avoiding her. Okay. You can see this also in martial arts, and it's called being in the flow. So what I'm, what I'm wanting to point out to you right now is, is that these jhana states are normal human states. They're not super duper special and there's something of, of obviously they're not attainments 
not a patient to the natural outflow of having the mind in a good state. I'm sorry, somebody who... I don't know who's, like, the noise that is. Maybe it's the car. I'm not sure. Can you mute the mic? Yeah, just so we can hear. Thanks. Okay, uh, Eric, you got a question. Yeah, just to confirm that, that I'm getting it. It's just that it's a little bit confusing that you say that first jhana is the most important, like the what we have to focus on, but then that it's in fourth jhana that we really see Patija Samupada. So mm -hmm. first, my question is whether or not, like uh, the difference is, as you said, first getting the mind established in first jhana, so then you can be established in the higher genus. Uh, let us say it's more like this, that the house has a living room. The living room is the first genre, but you have three doors. They go to other rooms. You got a kitchen, you got a toilet, you got a bedroom. OK, so you live in the living room, but occasionally you go to the toilet. Occasionally you go to the kitchen. You spend a lot of time in the bedroom laying down. Okay, so that's a very good analogy for the four jhanas. Again, the, four, the first jhana is home. That's the resting place. But if people mm. want the higher jhanas, they can have them, but when they fall out of them, they fall back into the hindrances, back into ordinary life. And so we need to actually practice the, four, the first jhana well enough so that that becomes our basis point, which is basically, as Aaron and I were just discussing, just having a positive in, uh, aspect that, in fact, uh, uh, you can naturally see where the jhana dude just came out of the fourth jhana. He says, oh, I just lost it. Well, now he's not only lost the fourth jhana, he's lost the first one, too, because he's in negativity. Oh, I had it, and now I don't have it. Let me go get it again, All right? And so... That's the problem, is that we don't have the first jhana very, very well established. So, DJ, you got a question. I'm sorry, I, I had like a follow-up question. That was just, if, if you, if I may. <laughs> Go ahead. So then, uh, maybe it's a necessary question if it is. Uh, yeah, don't mind it, but if you say that all the jhanas were well known before the the noble dhamma was established with the buddha then mm -hmm. what i'm not were saying all that those... every every time they can hear it at all those jhanas i'm saying that it was part of the culture the to, the knowledge of it that the buddha in fact had been able to do the fourth the first jhana when he was still a child mm -hmm. That's no. that's in Sutta number 36 and in number 26, I believe, that they talk about that. It's it's the story of the rose apple tree. Okay, mm -hmm. so go ahead with your question. Yeah, and, and you were also saying that these are natural states. So my question is, like, um, can we learn something something from the like from the wrong practice of all those centuries of um, like incomplete Dhamma or like what made the Buddha, the Buddha's innovation so so special that um, like the innovation sounds so simple that I don't see it as special, you know, like being getting established in the first channel. 
I'm still not following what your question is. Yeah, maybe I don't have a clear question. But okay, um, like it's just that in ret in in retrospective, in hindsight, the innovation of the Buddha sounds so simple that I don't know why it wasn't common knowledge. You know, the way it you're was to. common knowledge within the Sangha. In fact, I would say that it was common knowledge in India. By the by the seventh century AD, it was common knowledge. That's why the Brahmins hated Buddhists so much. They hated them because the uh, uh, the teaching of the Buddha was common knowledge, and the common knowledge of the teaching of the Buddha puts the Brahmins right out of business. Why would somebody give all of their family land? Let's say that the uh, the farmer. You know, in America, they don't want to have death taxes or uh, uh, inheritance taxes. Well, they've got inheritance taxes big time in India. What is the inheritance tax? If grandpa wants to be buried and have the cremation ceremony done by the Brahmins, he's going to have to give all the family land and his family gets nothing and the Brahmins gets it all just so he can have a good send off. Okay, so that's the basis of it is greed. And so Buddhism from the 7th century up until the 14th century went through one pogrom after another until finally the the uh, the more uh, excuse me the Mongols from Turks Turkish came in to help the Brahmins completely wipe out the Buddhist. Okay, that in fact is still considered dangerous. The noble teaching of the Buddha. That's why Bhikkhu Buddhadasa wouldn't teach it. Uh, excuse me. That's why in Thailand it, they wouldn't teach it openly. It has to be done within the Sangha. It has to be done within the monks and the monks don't tell the lay people. That's and the reason for that was because of the tragedies that have happened. And Bhikkhu Buddhadasa in 1930s decided that, hey, it's time for the secrecy to be over. Let's let the whole population of Thailand have a shot at the noble Dhamma to take it out of the realm of religion into the realm of everybody gets a huge benefit and changing their lives from a negative life to a positive life right here in this life. And we can all do that. We can live that. Dominato, may I add to that? Yes, go ahead. So the great importance of the Buddha's teaching is that the Brahmins told you to get in jhana and sit there and shut up and die and come back into the same class, the same caste uh -huh. over and over again. The Buddha said, no, no, no. We get liberation in this very life. Investigate. See that you generate these states. See that the whole universe that you live in is, in fact, inside of you from the time that you were born until the time that you die. At which point, boop, you're back to the universe again because a cloud never dies. It just turns into water, falls to the bottom of the mountain. Damarato swims in it, and then it floats right back up the mountain to be more water. The Brahmins didn't like this because then they, they couldn't like keep you down in your rebirths. Right. And the Buddha says it might happen. It might not happen. But I tell you what's good right now and what's going to be good in the middle and what's going to be good in the end. <laughs> Let's get to it. And that's exactly. the innovation. Uh huh. So, DJ, you got your well, hand thank up. Thank you. Yes, that was good, Alex. Thank you. That's great. Thank you, oh, yeah, wonderful. Um, I think Alex actually put up a. His hand before me, if you want to address his question first, or oh, Alex, yes, Alex Pappas, okay, Alex, you got a question? <laughs> hey, yeah, um, two actually, real brief. So, first one, 
I just wanted to check with you. It seems that sometimes I can actually just, you know, the first jhana, you can just feel good. You, you can just kind of remind yourself. You can remember, oh, I could just feel good right now. But it doesn't require a whole lot of, um, like, a building up of wholesome thought into that. It's more just like, oh, I, I know what this feels like. I can just feel good. Um, but obviously, I trust my experience. But Domorado, does that does that resonate or does that resonate with you guys as well that at some point after yes. some point of practicing that you can just feel good and you're just there. Mm -hmm. And if you I feel good and feel uh, good and continue to feel good. Boy, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Um, like when you sit outside, you find shapes and clouds when you're a kid. Oh, that one looks like a train. Oh, that one looks like this, that. I think that might be real close to first jhana. Mm -hmm. And I think that that would be what we're talking about when we talk about the rose tree and the Buddha happening to trip his way into it. Mm -hmm. Just from mm -hmm. having causes and conditions. And this is what I think is very important about first jhana is when you collect all the characteristics of first jhana, you then understand that to proceed from first jhana to second jhana to third jhana to fourth jhana, you're not adding anything. You're removing mm -hmm. characteristics yeah. and choosing, yeah. you know, so this is why first jhana is so important because if you could hold it five things, you could probably hold four things and then you probably mm -hmm. hold three and two and one and eventually you can stop holding shit and just pay attention. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah. So the first thing that we eliminate then from the first to the second jhana is the um, applied and sustained thought that got us into the first jhana and keeps us in first jhana to go into second jhana. We stop thinking about and just experience. Yeah. So okay. the second now, jhana then it, has it, pity as its number one point, and we get rid. Uh, we we let that subside, and so we lose the pity, leaving only the sukha. And then the fourth jhana is when we leave that absolute happy satisfaction into a ba basic. There it is. There's nothing to do here except just look. So all of the good feelings of the first jhana then are eliminated by the fourth jhana, leaving only the process of the mind. And now we start playing with that until we bring that is process that Buddha, in. Is that what Buddha Dasa means by the non-concocted mind? Or yes. no longer concocting anything? No longer concocting, exactly. But, but but that's also in all the jhanas because in the first jhana we're not concocting. Damarado. We're not concocting. We're experiencing and talking about how nice it is right here, right now. We're not concocting. We're in fact getting the mind in real in alignment with actual reality. That's why we don't want to be starting our practice while we're being on the cross, being crucified. That's not a good place to practice. <laughs> But if you're the on other, the cross, it would have been good if you'd had a whole lot of practice because now you'll be able to handle it. OK, but we don't want to, to practice in a tough situation. This is ex also what we mean by within music and also in psychology. We have practice, performance and then play. But the performance is how we practice when we're practicing in public, but we still have to work at it to keep it and make sure it's right. But like the violinist who has played the, the violin concerto, let us say 75 or 100 times in public, and also practice it and played it alone, she can walk out on that stage with that violin and own the place 
And she's just having a ball while she plays that violin concerto. She's not worried about missing a note because she's not going to miss one because she's got that thing down so much. And you can see everything wiggles a little bit more because the, the musician now is dancing while they're playing. And so instead of just doing anything like that, they go, yep, and just, just love what they're doing, right? And the reason for it is, is because they've got it down. So that's an example of a musician being in first genre is because they've got it and they know that they've got it. And so this is the uh, uh, the practice. And as uh, Alex was saying, that the, the, the higher jhana factors is nothing but then removing. And the fourth jhana is when we stop perceiving things and leaving the show just as it is. So the Nama Rupa comes to an end slowly. And you've heard or you've seen in the suttas, they talk about things like infinite consciousness. Well, it's not infinite, but that's all there is. It's just a flood of intake. We've talked about infinite space in the sense that the boundaries about who I am and the environment that I am get very, very loose. We also talk about uh, perception and non-perception. That's when we can perceive perception itself. The example is a, a clay bowl that has had oil in it, and then all the oil is taken out, but the still there's oil in the bowl. You can take and you can rub your finger around and get oil off of the bowl, but you can't uh, pour the, the oil. So this is the way that we look at that state of neither perception or non-perception is mm. that we have perception on just enough to know that we're enjoying the show. And then we Not go into that state of nothing because now we've got perception turned off completely. And when perception is turned off, all feelings are turned off because you actually have stopped that Pratita Samupada at the place of perception. That's the fourth jhana. The first jhana is only a few steps above, and that is at the state of feelings. So we learn to control the feelings, and then these other jhanas only take us a couple of steps down to the fourth jhana is at perception. And when we manage the perception so that we can turn it on and turn it off and decide how we're going to process and all of that kind of stuff, then that's really a pleasant abiding. Just to be able to sit and take input. Now, the next thing that I have to emphasize is that these states are not magical. They're not special. They're not highfalutin. They're not out of sight. But they are extensions of the first jhana and so to make to get it into those states you have to cultivate and get going and get in very very good um, uh, skill levels of that first jhana well we've got several people now it's time for you dj <laughs> your turn oh, well, all right um so um yeah question is in terms of the speed as well, right? So we're we're cultivating and developing the first jhana, right? This is kind of the base camp, right? And then the higher jhanas um, sort of, you know, naturally sort of unfold from that as well. But um, in a way too, right? So like in, in the second, it's sort of just the dropping of sort of the applied and sustained thought, the verbal thought, and it's just mm -hmm. the pity, 
right? So we're, it's just going into the, the feeling of it. So you can kind of play around maybe with this, right? Like in terms of like, okay, wholesome thoughts arise. Okay, isn't this like lovely? We're kind of working it in and then it just drops and then just the experience of it, right? So it's a little bit like insightful in a way. You're just experiencing that experience. But like almost you could start in a way from a breath and then again we're breathing quite long there's a lot of mind moments in there start with the breath have a verbal thought or whatever and then it drops off and kind of just in a way drop or go all the way up however you want to put it right in terms of like the jhanas because they can go quite quickly it doesn't need to be like oh i got into you know fourth jhana for 15 minutes or something right and that's sort of like a craving kind of thing it's just it can be rather quick you know okay well when you're let, let us put it on this point then, that as soon as you recognize that you have come out of whatever jhana states or anything like that, the best thing you can do mm. is to congratulate yourself for having done it. Mm. Because what we're not normally going to do is wish for it back again. Yeah. And if we wish for it back again, that's a hindrance. But if we can congratulate ourselves, that's staying positive with it. Mm. Okay, yeah, so this yeah. so this is what the vipassana or the insight is is merely nothing but trying to figure out what's wholesome and what's unwholesome. Hmm. And when we can figure out what's wholesome, every moment that we can figure it out, we can stay in that wholesome state. Yeah. And that's what the jhanas are really all about, is being able to get rid of those hindrances and come into a state of wholesome thoughts. And then we let the thoughts subside and then we let the feelings subside. And once we let the feelings subside, there's not much left. <laughs> <laughs> there's not much left except just pure observation. So uh, did that answer your question, DJ? Or did yeah, you just yeah. take the... <laughs> Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, no. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I was, I was uh, so Alec Pappas, you've got your hand up. You've got a question. Yeah, I actually had a follow-up question from before. So uh, the fourth jhana, it sounds like to me what that is. So we're, we're saying that we come into or we come out of, we relax out of experiencing or not. We don't relax out of, we, we relax out of the feeling. We relax out of holding on to or sitting on that pleasant feeling and we mm -hmm. relax deeper into just experiencing this as it is and the perceptions are very loose and to me what that sounds like is natural rest without seeking or describing anything so there's no there's no sense right. of concepts there's no and and what i've it's interesting because I was actually going to ask you, Damarado, this is a practice that I like to do uh, quite often, actually, is just when, whenever there's any kind of point of view, so you could say thought, um, whether it's wholesome or unwholesome, I just remind myself, I was like, oh, I remembered, and then I rest without seeking or describing anything and do that very many small moments throughout the day. And what 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 i've noticed is the the benefit of rest the benefit of relaxation that comes from the initiation of those jhanas is present immediately 
in in doing that in resting without seeking or describing anything so i was just curious if if that's equivalent to the fourth jhana when that's happening um yes but i wouldn't bother with trying to put the names back on those kind of states is that the fourth jhana Right, right, right. What, right, right. what I'm yeah. actually inviting you guys to do to stay in your experience, yeah, without trying to name it and say, "Oh, this must be for Jana because of blah blah blah," but rather that when you, uh, in fact, if you're thinking about it being fourth Jana, when you're going into the fourth Jana, you're not, not going into fourth Jana. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> okay. So the next point is, is that when you come out of that state, then you can reflect upon it. Sure. That's the whole point that, in fact, you cannot even understand the fourth jhana until you come out of it. Yes. And then you yeah. can reflect upon it because yeah, so the, the mind is so quiet that you, 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 all you know is this experience of nothing's happening. Yes. There is nothing yeah. there. First, there was sensory input, and now we're not even paying attention to the sensory input, and there's just nothing there. And that's the end to it. Now, here's the point about that. Once we get to the point of there's nothing there, then that, then, uh, you see, a lot of people, we can go back to the uh, uh, Baya Sutta on that where uh, the, the teaching of the bark tree guys, um, ba- basically, uh, when we think of people wearing bark as a costume <laughs> or, or clothing, we think of pine trees. That's not the kind of bark we're talking about. At best, it's like birch bark, you know? It's actually, you can make clothing out of the by peeling the tree uh, and and so it's pliable. It would be very much like having leather. But in, anyway, uh, Baya was uh, uh, one of these guys. And what their whole point in life was is to find the self in there. <laughs> Who am I? Who is the guy that can see the uh, the formations inside the mind, the Salayatana? Who is it that feels? Who is it? that um, is experiencing the sensory input. Who is it uh, that way? So that's the situation. I think that somebody just published this on the the Skype group. Yeah, I saw that article. Right, and so the point then is, is that once we get the mind into that state, then the seeing is merely the seeing. The herd is merely the herd, which means we're not trying to figure out what it is that we heard. We're not trying to figure out what it is that we saw. We're just letting it be. Yeah. So whatever we bring in, they use it like cognized. Whatever comes in, that's all there is to it. And we're not adding anything new. Okay. And that's why uh, Baya was able to then get into that state recognizing that it was just a state that there was no one in that state there was no selfishness or self there because selfishness is a kind of a thought it's a kind of an unwholesome thought if you have a self that's hindrance (laughs) and so 
And so this is how, uh, Alex, you can look at that fourth jhana is, is that there's just nothing to it. I mean, there's a, there's a joke in there someplace. There's nothing to it. <laughs> yes, yes. So I wanted, I wanted to ask you, because, okay, this isn't my current experience, right? But I wanted to ask you about this, because this, this seemed to be the most true um, of experiences. So I was driving in my car, and I just just decided I reminded myself to rest naturally without seeking or describing anything. Mm -hmm. And what had happened next is the same thing that happened to me two years ago when I had like an awakening experience where what had happened was it was as though, uh, all of a sudden I saw the body as an organism that I birthed that was kind of like, my baby, kind of almost like my embryo. And what I actually was, was the gut, like a governing, the governing awareness or space that contained this body. And that's why I say embryo, because the, the awareness, if you look like awareness is the metaphor mm -hmm. for the mother, and then the body is the, the embryo. And it was, it was so, so directly profound and a few days later, there was just like this perfume of that, and then it left. And I believe it probably left because at some point there was like a praising of it. Mm -hmm. And with the praise of it, there was the fear of losing it. Um, and then as soon as there was a fear of losing it, <laughs> then you've lost. lost. It. <laughs> so and the fear I'm is curious if you could speak to that though and, and, and talk what is that that happens and is that is that experience the ultimate end to this practices, these practices that we're doing? Yes, that's what I'm saying is, is that there is an end to it all. And the end to it is when the mind is so quiet that it's not no longer perceiving anything, which means that we're not making sense out of it, which means that what we made out of it, the sense we made out of it doesn't contact us. And so therefore there's no feelings. We have literally short-circuited that sequence of, of Paticca Samapada at step four now. Mm. Rather than it go for five, six, seven, eight, all the way up to 12, which is the suffering. So the first mm. thing that we do is we get it at the point of, um, in fact, you and I have worked at this, uh, Alex, is, yeah, I don't get what I want, but I'm still okay. Right. Right? So that's the point of early practice. Right. That I, I, I'm, I don't give what I want, but I'm still okay. And then we start looking at, oh, well, I can feel the way that I want to now. That I can be happy yeah. without having to have what I was thinking that I wanted. So that's, uh, so here's the analogy now from that. Is, is that we're going to, every time that we fall out, it's like falling off of a mountain. I was two thirds up the mountain when I fell off. I want to pick myself up, dust myself off, and be back up on that two-thirds up the mountain. And that doesn't work the way that if I fall up that mountain, I'm going to have to climb that mountain all over again. Mm -hmm. Or another one is, is if you get two-thirds up a ladder and you fall off of that ladder, you can't just say, well, I okay, I'm back again, and I'm back up there two-thirds of the ladder. No, you got to start from wrong one again. That's mm -hmm. why we're talking about the first jhana over and over and over again. All right, you keep coming back to the first jhana, and then we can then get these few steps of Petita Samapada, which means that we can get ourselves back into that state of uh, 
neither perception nor non-perception and then into the nothingness and here's the point about that nobody's going to live their life that way that's not a place of living that's just a place of recognizing how far can i take this practice how high is that mountain but you don't live on the mountain top all the time you don't stay there you move around okay and so uh the base camp then is going to be the first jhana and so this is where all of the skill development needs to be done is getting the mind back into that wholesome happy state over and over and over again and not worry about these higher jhanas because they're you know you can take the buddha's word for it there's nothing more after that why do i even have to go spend the time there to prove it to myself because i've already got the sukha which is the entire teachings of the embodiment of the Buddha in first jhana. The first jhana is the path to what the Buddha was looking for when he rejected the higher jhanas. Yes. That, that, that we're going to do the middle path here. We're not going to take one extreme or the other. There's no reason to go and stay in the fourth jhana. There's nothing to it. It's just abiding in a pleasant state, but you can't live that way. The monks who do the fourth jhana can't stay in the fourth jhana when they go on bendabat. You can't walk around like that. <laughs> that you've got to come back into the being able to make sense out of your world or you won't be able to find the path. That in fact, that's the story about Bad Dadi or the uh, Baya was is that he died the day that the Buddha taught him about this fourth jhana because <laughs> he was not staying in a state of safety. He was out wandering around and he wandered into a cow and he wasn't afraid of the cow and the cow killed him. Lots so of cows killed practice. people back then. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I would not ever expect fourth, fourth jhana to buy, be either a goal or necessary or a desirable place to be. It's much more likely to see it as just the natural outcome of your consistently doing the first jhana that you will just get into these states of wow you know <laughs> and so and so this is the way of understanding it is is that the first jhana is the goal the first jhana is all of the work that you need to do and all that you need to do is get the mind cleaned out and then we go back to the, the to the shampoo dhamma rinse and repeat rinse and repeat Rinse and repeat over and over again. And so this is this is what we have to say. Uh, uh, Alex, John, you got your hand up. If it's OK, I wanted to a, I wanted to thank everyone in Sangha for sharing experiences, especially personal experiences, because I love to hear them. Um, but also, I wanted to add to something on the Jana side. I know first Jana is all you need to be liberated here and now yet. Mm -hmm. One thing I find particularly interesting, and it helps me understand better first jhana, is with the practice of the jhanas, I directly through my experience prove to myself that my world is moment by moment constructed by myself. What this means is when I do happen to walk in Walmart and kick a shelf or something silly and I, oh, I'm out, I can immediately go, hey, why be out? Why not just be in? And then gather yeah. the causes and conditions and guess what it's a natural state first jhana will arise you can't mm -hmm. make it not happen if the causes and conditions are there 
It's a natural state. People pass in and out of the first jhana all the time. Mm -hmm. The question is, do you know what you're doing when you're doing it? (laughs) And even when we look at positive psychology in the West right now, we see positive psychology calls jhana something like a flow state. But even they believe in positive psychology that it is a special state limited mm-hmm. only to athletic maneuvers or something like this, but that's not the case. They just don't have the depth of culture that was there available to the Buddha, who when he went and he was slam shift in jhanas, he understood, hey, this is not what I want because what the Brahmin wants me to do is sit here in Naroda Sampadi and he wants me to just rot. But I'm going to mm-hmm. come back out and I'm going to show them, <laughs> I'm going to build a beautiful world right here, right now in this moment and in this very life. And I think it's so gorgeous to think like that. So, I mean, if you got to follow someone's example, why not follow somebody yeah. like that? Huh? Exactly so. Right. But thank you. Thanks for letting me share too, guys. I appreciate all of you. Yeah, that's that's going back to the idea of Sangha. Yes, let's practice together. We can help each other in a very positive way. That this is you're not on your own. This is not a lonely trip at all. This is all friendship. We all we got. So, DJ, does that answer enough of your questions about Jhana in, in general? Oh, yeah, no, it, it was wonderful. Yeah, it is wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. Okay. Yeah. Well, does anybody have any parting words? Anybody got anything left? Nick, how about you? Do you have anything to say? I uh, just love uh, chilling with you guys. That was a good time, but no questions. Nice like, to meet uh, you, Nick. time and John with y'all. Welcome, like, man. Welcome. So let's go ahead and finish this call. I really appreciate it. We've actually gone quite a while now. It's been almost two hours, but we didn't record until uh, 30 minutes in. So anyway, guys, thank you. I really, really appreciate it. You make my day. You make my life. I really love you guys. Thank you. <laughs> love you guys too. Thank you. So we'll see you Monday. Take care, days. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Bye. That was a great call. Wonderful call.